0: media podcast we are celebrating 20 years of almost famous the cameron crowe film that came out uh in the united states on this day that we are recording the 22nd of september 2000 we are now uh 20 years later this film is uh, officially 20 years old and uh we have uh, one Eric Scott Tyler, Mr. ET, on as per huge to discuss uh, this film that we are both uh, fans of. Eric, what is up?
1: What's up? Happy to be here. I'm excited. Yeah,
0: this is a kind of a different topic, a different <clears throat> style of episode, different genre episode. But I, because I, it's not necessarily a genre film. It, it, but then again, maybe it is, because it's kind of a music film as well, and those aren't regular films. At least they weren't all the way up until some of these, you know, bio- biopics have been coming out. The Bohemian Rhapsodies, the, uh, the Rocket Man with Elton John, things like that. But this is, you know, half fiction, half nonfiction. This is a, this is a, a different movie, probably something... Our listeners would not have, would not have expected us to uh, to cover, but uh, we like to uh, we like to branch out every once in a while, and uh, we're we're fans of much more than just horror and genre. Although that is our uh, that is our soup du jour, um, but we're uh, we're big fans of uh, non genre films as well, right, Eric?
1: For sure, yeah. For, I mean, for, you know, music plays a big role in in our, in our lives, and this music, this movie is obviously.
0: Uh, driven by the music so yeah 100% it is um and it's uh y- you know like i said it's it's uh so it's based on Cameron Crowe who is i mean most people when you say Cam- Cameron Cameron Crowe and, and i would be uh remiss if we didn't talk about this as well they just uh there was a uh, celebrity uh you know s- zoom uh reading of the fast times at Richmount high uh, script uh, with Sean Penn uh, and Brad Pitt and Shia LaBeouf and, and a bunch of a bunch of other people. And that is like, probably, I mean, that's the go-to Cameron Crowe film, right? That's what everyone, when you say Cameron Crowe, that might be the first film people think about.
1: I would say so, yeah. I mean, I think people may be a little bit uh, unfamiliar with a lot of his uh, work. Obviously, he's... Uh, He's written some great stuff. But yeah, I would say that's probably one that people think of the most.
0: And, you know, I feel like, so, like something like Fast Times has, like, its own little niche carved out in pop culture in and of itself. But that is kind of like a 80s teen sex comedy. Like, that is kind of like a, that's its own little genre, too, when you think about all the films of the like. Uh, that were coming out at the time too. You know, the Porkies and private school, and you know, just one of the guys. The these like eighties, uh, uh, these eighties teen comedies. That was a genre in and of itself too. Um, as are these music films too. Uh, I know sometimes, you know, you look at a Bohemian Rhapsody film that came out. Um, that chronicles Freddie Mercury and the band Queen. And we see them blow up and stuff, but this was mainly focused on a, a fictional band called Stillwater, but the the character of uh of Russell Hammond, who is the lead guitarist, played by Billy Crudup, uh amazing actor. This is uh you know, he was in smaller roles and this was like his big kind of like he's not necessarily the lead, but he's one of the, one of the, the leads, the the main centric musician in the band that uh William who is the Russell Crowe esque character? Uh, because Russell Crowe did write for Rolling Stone when he was a teenager.
1: Right, I think. Um, I think that's what's so cool about this movie is, like you said, it's like you know, part part fiction, part uh, experiences from Kevin Crowe's uh, early days of traveling with uh, you know being with the Almond Brothers and some of the other bands he's with. And you're exactly right about Crudup. But he, I feel like that guy is like. One of the greatest actors out there, but uh, you know, maybe not always. No, he's not always the lead guy. And and you're right. I mean, he might not be the lead guy in this movie, but he definitely steals the show, and it definitely. Um, I think a, a lot of fan, a lot of people saw his uh, his incredible work with this with this movie.
0: Oh, for sure, and he he plays the the character is so like. I mean, as as like <clears throat> 70s musicians were, they were very like. uh different. I feel like musicians in the seventies, when you think about those big seventies bands too, you know, Allman brothers, because the Russell Hammond Hammond character is based off Greg Allman, um and you think about all these uh seventies bands, uh, you know, you know, the Blue Oyster cults, the the, the Zeppelins, uh you know the million bands we could come up with—Mountain, I mean, just uh, you know, the, the Allman Brothers, Leonard Skinner—you you know, all these, all these bands that had like, it almost—and maybe you can relate to this, Eric, because you know, you and I both were brought up on classic rock radio, so we were, <clears throat> we were a little removed, probably, you know. Up until, fi- you know, 15 to, like, 15 years removed from the 70s, but 95X, I feel like, with this, our local radio station, we got a lot of 70s music we grew up on.
1: Oh, for sure, yeah, I mean, like I, like you said, I mean, I grew up, you know, riding in the car with my father listening to classic rock radio, so, I mean, all a lot of the bands depicted in this movie or, or the, the soundtrack is stuff that we heard growing up, so...
0: And, uh, so what, what a cast this has, it's, uh, you know, we got a, which is, this is kind of like a bigger breakout role. And I know Jason Lee started acting five years before this, his debut in Kevin Smith's Mallrats, but which we're both fans of, but this was kind of like a big, I know he, he had been in some stuff, but like, this was a pretty big role for him. I mean, this movie ended up flopping, which is a shame, but I thought he played great as the lead singer, Jeff Beebe.
1: Oh, he, I mean, he kills it. I think his, um, it's almost his comedy, but also, um, his depth in this movie is really good. He, he killed it. I, I read, um, you know, that he really tried to, he didn't want to seem like a knockoff his character in this movie and he wanted to really seem authentic. And he, I, I mean, I, I gotta say him and the whole band, I mean, I know that they, they took it like they were an actual band. I know they practiced like they were an yeah. actual band and, and, but yeah, he really kills it. Uh portraying that uh, lead singer um that mystique as he would say yeah <laughs>
0: so. that that was the dynamic we agreed upon
1: <laughs> <laughs> that's what i mean they they you know I, i'm sure we're going to touch on it but the whole i just feel like back then too there probably was a lot of stuff like that with the you know maybe a lead singer or a guitar player getting more uh i don't know like more publicized or or being liked more than the other guys in the band, and this and that,
0: and, uh... Oh, there's, I mean, we can, you can think of them right out, like, Page and Plant. I mean, Plant was revered, but, like, Jimmy... I feel like when people say Led Zeppelin, they don't initially think of Robert Plant. Don't get me wrong, he is, like, a very close second, but immediately when someone says Led Zeppelin, you think Jimmy Page.
1: For sure. And I think it's also because, like... I don't know what it is but I think everybody wants to wants to be the guitar player for some reason, you know what I mean?
0: Well, they were the, you know, they were the dudes that that got the chicks or, or so it seemed.
1: Well, I'm sure they all did. But yeah, I mean, I don't know. I think the, the the guitar player has like that uh you know, everybody wants to be the guitar player for some reason.
0: And uh <laughs> but a cast of and there's a lot of uh cameos in this. There's so many. We got Mark Maron playing a promoter.
1: Yeah, you got uh, you got Jimmy
0: Fallon playing the agent. Yeah, you
1: know, play, the
0: playing the at one point. Yeah, playing the the would be <laughs> <laughs> tour manager, which he he actually the way he acts in that because he's he's playing like more of a serious manager role. There's so much fun things about that little small role of him being the like uh, the record label sent uh manager like to be a you know pretty much uh, moving uh Mick uh you know the Stillwater's current manager to like their touring manager and him being like the real deal manager having him uh it's so funny like taking shots at like what was going on at the time too because the stones are still going 20 years after this film but when he's like if you think Mick Jagger's going to be up there rolling around when he's 50 uh but he plays it so uh, so well. We got Kate Hudson, uh, obviously uh, acting is in her blood, daughter of Goldie okay. and Kurt.
1: Um, yeah, you got. A, I mean, like you said, a bunch of people in this movie, a bunch of cameos. Obviously, you got Peter Frampton, who taught a lot of uh, taught Kurt how to play uh, guitar. He's got a cameo. It's just so many. Uh, you got of Bulk in there. You got Anna Paquin. Yep. Uh Zoe D. Chanel. Yeah, Zoe D playing his sister. And I and I I'd be remiss not to bring up my girl Frances McDormand who plays uh, William's mother. Yeah. who is uh, <laughs> is just literally one of the greatest actresses ever and she uh, Your charm
0: doesn't she, work on me, I'm on to you.
1: Yeah, she has uh, her character is uh, as uh, the concerned mother throughout the movie is great, uh how she uh just warps people's minds and uh, yeah. kind of tears them down a notch. <laughs>
0: There's there's these little tiny cameos And you and I talked about the character of Red Dog Being portrayed by uh, Zach Ward from, <laughs> yes. from Christmas Story
1: From Christmas Scott Farkas fame Of uh, Christmas Story uh, Yeah you know what I, The funny thing is I've seen that movie like a thousand times Literally And and it never occurred to me that that was him Until literally somewhat recently When I was watching And I happened to catch his name in the credits And I was like no fucking way and I looked it up, and I'm like, oh, my God. Like, I literally saw that, because you, you don't really see him too much. He's got that one, you know, little scene where he's like, hey, brother, and he hugs somebody. Hey, but brother. Like, yeah. Uh, you know, it's just, it's crazy.
0: Um it's funny. There was actually, re-watching it recently in celebration of this, I, I found a cameo that I had never seen before. What do you got? And it was uh, is a, a comedian who was uh, big in the the late 90s early 2000s who has uh, since died uh mitch hetberg uh is sitting at the table with humble pie uh with the uh, yeah, road manager yeah, yeah, yeah. for hum- I'm from not humble pie
1: with Hettberg, but i did see that he was uh he was in the film yeah
0: yeah he was a uh, he unfortunately od'd in 2005 i think it was and uh and passed away but yeah there's just so many uh there's 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 so so many uh, cameos and there's so there's I mean a loaded cast and it's kind of it kind of begs the question why this movie kind of flopped but uh, the character of you know uh, William is you know obviously as we said a betrayal of like Cameron Crowe and his experiences with with several different bands kind of melded into like a kind of a, a non fiction fiction story. Right. But it's uh and we talk about the uh Stillwater, the fictional band. Tell me that is Fever Dog not a, a hit you could imagine <laughs> on the radio in the seventies?
1: Oh, for sure. That's what I, I that's what I love about it is, is is the music that they used for the fictional Stillwater is great. They took a lot of time, it sounds like to make those songs and uh I think you know, if they were a real band they would have been popular in that day for sure.
0: And uh, so we get like obviously you know uh, you know we he's he's a younger cat. Williams a younger cat. It gets revealed to him that his mother, who is just like doesn't believe on celebrating, you know Christmas on the actual 25th of December. She cel- celebrates it in September. She she put him in like you know kindergarten and skipped him a grade. So he's like two years younger than everybody. He doesn't have pubes. He's seen everybody else shaving their facial hair. Right. And uh, what I thought was funny is there was a celebration of Cream Magazine because Cream Magazine is coming back, but we get introduced to another another great actor in this film, Philip Seymour Hoffman, portraying the 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 real-life character uh, of Lester Bangs.
1: Yeah, he's another one who, you know, it's crazy because he doesn't have the biggest role in the film, but he, he leaves a, such it's, a huge mark, obviously, because we know that Philip Seymour Hoffman is a... Phenomenal actor, and a lot of his, a lot of the shit he says is, in this, in the movie is so good. And uh, I actually read that he only, he only was on the on the set for like four days. He only yeah. Filmed for like four days for this movie because uh, I think his scheduling issues. But that just speaks, I think it speaks volumes about him and like the character itself. Obviously, of Lester Banks, I'm sure it was. You know, if he's anything like what uh, Hoffman portrays, a man seems like a little bit of a wild man. So, yeah, a- a-
0: after listening to a couple um, Rolling Stone and Cream like magazine like diatribes on podcasts of of recent, that the real Lester Bangs ended up dying of a of a drug overdose. He he wrote for Cream for years and was like. Pretty much, like, like, was a critic of, like, a huge critic of, like, the Doors and stuff and wrote them off as kind of, you know, as even, you know, the character even says of Lester Banks and the the Doors, they're buffoons. Uh, uh, but, yeah, it's four days on the set he left his mark for sure. There's so many, just, like, just the way he, his acting is just, is, you know, honestly, I think second to none when i when i see him in stuff he always steals the show and uh, just uh, a line that killed me it was just like when william's talking to him when he's out on the road and he's all like tore up cuz Ru- he can't get his interview with from russell he's fallen in love with penny lane penny lane's obsessed with russell and he's he's pretty much like pouring his heart out to lester banks and he's just like i'm glad you're home he's like i'm always home i'm on cool
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah no i it's really cool, and and you can tell that um, his character like uh, really cares about William's character, and I think he he definitely tries to help him, but he also tries to like set him straight as well.
0: And uh, I think it's so. Uh, I mean, Lester Bangs ended up, you know, going to Rolling Stone. He ended up overdosing, unfortunately, uh, in uh, in a hotel room. But uh, I I do love, and, and this is like a a big thing with like scene music scenes and like eras of music. Like, it's so funny when Lester is talking to William and he's just like, you're around for the last gas, the death rattle. Uh, when you hear things like that, it's so funny because I'm sure we have like been, you know, even going to like, say something is even foreign to this as, you know, the Syracuse hardcore and, and metal scene and things like that. And the, how big the, it was in the nineties and I remember going in the early to mid-2000s and having, like, he, you know, hearing people or even people saying to me, like, oh, man, it used to be great back then. And even myself, uh, you know, being in a band during that, you know, pretty much and the tail end of that into, like, the 2010s. And then, you know, me having to, like, tell 18-year-old kids, be like, oh, yeah, you don't know, like... Man, you should have been around at this show in two thousand three, man. This was this that was when the shit was good, man. Like,
1: yeah, I mean, I don't know. I guess that comes with the territory of any musical scene or any any sort of uh, community of maybe the arts. But uh, it's crazy to me to think of just being, you know, born in eighty five uh, with the amount of music that's come out since then. But this movie was supposed to be seventy three. Yep. Right. So. To think that it's the death rattle of rock and roll of 1973 is just... You know, it's kind of funny to think about, but... Uh,
0: he was so wrong. Motorhead didn't even put out fucking Bomber yet.
1: <laughs> well, I mean, I guess for maybe people back then, it's, maybe there's a little truth to it, but I don't know. It's just... Uh, you know, it's kind of crazy. Uh,
0: so Yeah, so we get... um. We get all kinds of, like, goodness of, like, the era in there. So, it's, like, you know, 73 was an interesting time, too, because it was, like, you know, Vietnam was still going to be happening for another two years. It was, like, kind of like the death of the flower power thing. Like, once, like, once Hendrix died and, like, I feel like once, like, the 27 Club pretty much, like, clipped themselves off uh, in that early seventy like, 73 and stuff, like... You started getting, you know, Black Sabbath was on on top of the world, as was Zeppelin, probably the two biggest, like, rock bands at the time. But it it was just such a a turning, I think it was a turning point from, like, 73 through the 70s was, like, that classic, quintessential, true blue uh, 70s rock because, you know, Kiss is on the verge of forming and, and coming out. Uh, you know rush at the same time like is right there gonna be forming soon so all these bands it's right before like that big explosion of like legacy bands that are either broken up dead or are on their last legs now now right and uh I- i'm always interested to see what like a movie in the you know the late 70s or even like 1980 were like, you know, as we're going into the 80s, what people's, uh, you know, what what it would be looked at or, or, you know, what someone who was around that time would would view, like, the beginning, the turning of a, another thing going into the 80s with New Wave and and all that stuff. Uh, so it's definitely, it gives you, you know, context. It gives you things to think about with 70s rock and roll and 60s rock and roll, obviously, as well, but... uh. The dynamic with the, the Stillwater band in this movie is so funny. We got the quiet drummer. We got kind of like the super laid back like bass player. And then we have the two like egotistical singer and guitarist.
1: Yeah, like I said, I think they cast it really well. And those guys all portray it really well. I'm not too familiar with obviously the guy who's who played the drummer or the bassist. But you, you're right. They kind of uh, they all have their like little niche in the band uh you know you got the whole jeff there who's the lead singer who's kind of loudmouthed, and uh you know kind of wants to be the, on the spotlight and then you have russell who's like the the cool dude but uh gets a lot of the spotlight and yet like you said like you, have, you got the quiet drummer which again for some reason drummers have that stigma of just being like the outcast that nobody cares about <laughs> and then you have the laid-back uh, bassist who just wants to just wants to hang out, party, and play some music,
0: so... Now, did you... What's interesting about the dynamic of this band and, uh, you know, the, the fictional band of Stillwater, it, it's so fun because uh, the Russell Hammond character, you know, on a, a couple different instances, tells William, you know, like, I've surpassed them as musicians. And, like, he talks about pretty much leaving him, like, and he's the star... And that that fact's reiterated when the when the, the label sends him the Stillwater the first Stillwater T-shirt, um, and everyone's fucking bl- faded and out of focus, and Russell Hammond's bright and shiny in the center of the shirt, and that has got to be probably the most memorable scene in the movie for me.
1: Oh yeah, that's it's so hilarious. Yeah, because you get the you know and you you're you're yourself who has been in a band before and had merchandise and stuff made like obviously you know that stuff's like it's important to some people it's not important to others but that whole like uh the battle for the you know the spotlight of the band really comes to light in that scene (laughs) and russell's the only one in focus (laughs) Uh, i'm just one of the out of focus guys (laughs) Uh, it really is such a great scene and uh and like i said i Uh, the casting like we said is so good because uh you know jason lee he he always has like um i don't know like there's just a little bit of humor in everything he says kind of not that he's not to be taken serious but those scenes where it really shines through where he's just like kind of like being a like he's just being an asshole but
0: uh even
1: with him and russell just it's just great but that whole scene is hilarious yeah it's Uh, their, their first shirt it's it's
0: it's so hard for him to like. Maybe it's just like that thing where he like he's just hilarious and it's so hard to not picture anything he says funny. But even when they're on the plane and he's just like, he's like, I've never loved you. <laughs> he's like, he's like, I don't even like you. And now I might fucking die with you, and it's not fucking fair. <laughs> yeah. Um.
1: I mean, the more I think about it, he just really, he really does. I mean, like you said, this is one of his bigger movies, and uh, he really kills it.
0: Yeah, and that's, uh, I mean, in so many ways, it's so simple, and like, people who, like, I mean, I was in a, obviously, I wasn't Stillwater famous, uh, I wasn't even really local famous, but it was, it was, that, it's so funny, little things like that, when they go, when he goes, don't you see, man, the t-shirt is everything. Uh, uh, it just, it just rattles my cage the right way. and makes me, uh, makes me laugh and cringe just because I, I, I've been in situations like that, obviously on a, in a significantly smaller scale, but it's just so, it's so funny just because they, right in there, in that instance, they capture everything it is to be in a band because that's what it boils down to is stupid shit like t-shirts. Well, yeah, you know, a band is like a family and when
1: you're in a family, you or even, like, a really close relationship, you sometimes you argue about dumb shit like that, so... <laughs> Absolutely. So, uh, in a band, that stuff gets illuminated just as much as well,
0: so... But, uh, uh the role of Penny Lane, this kind of... You know, I would... It's so hard to to tell if this movie could be made now um, because of the focus on what the groupies were, but this movie wasn't just, like, a groupie movie it kind of showed, like, how dedicated these girls who were, you know, the quote-unquote groupies, how dedicated to the artists and the music they were, that they would uproot their lives and go on tour with them.
1: Yeah, I mean, it does spotlight. Obviously, the movie is not centered around it, but like you said, it does spotlight um, that kind of uh, culture of the groupie and probably the beginning of, well, I mean, I'm sure there's groupies to this day, but... uh, Just different words for it, I guess. But yeah, it does kind of spotlight. And I think they kind of, in my opinion, are borderlines on what they actually are. Like, yeah, like they're fans of the music, and I know Penny Lane says that, but they're also, uh, you know, like like hooking up with these guys and whatever. So I don't know. It's an interesting. There was a lot of debauchery, I'm sure, back in that day. And I'm sure, as there is now, but uh, that whole culture of uh, the whole. Uh, Groupy thing is quite interesting and I think they they try to shed a positive light on it I guess but
0: I mean especially 20 years ago I'm surprised that they didn't go like more of a an American pie uh you know I don't know I mean you still talk like Led Zeppelin in the Hyatt house too the the infamous shark story if anybody's unfamiliar unfamiliar with it you can look that up yeah you
1: can google it um we're not, not, not
0: going to say it. No, we're not going to divulge that. You got to actually do the work. We can't we can't give you all the treats. Uh, but yeah, and it's uh you know the 70s were a big time for that and I think in the 80s when like things like like hair metal and like all these arena rock bands and stuff that like was everything turned up to like the 10th degree. Everything was turned up in the 80s. I feel like the fashion the neon colors, like, all this stuff, everything, because in the 70s, I feel like everyone was wearing, like, brown, and yellow, and, like, navy, and, like, all these, like, drab colors, and then in the 80s, everything was turned up, neon blues, neon pink, fucking Pat Benatar with, a uh, you know, with the, the blue, the blue top, and the headband, and, Everything was accessorized. There, you know, there was nine million bracelets. Um, out.
1: Yeah, like every decade has like a look or was popular. I actually think not. This is you know we're a little. I don't want to get too off topic, but I feel like that's just like died out, kind of like uh, like after the nineties almost. Like I feel like you you had a look in the fifties, you had a look at the sixties and the seventies and the eighties, and even in the nineties. The nineties very heavily, but now it's just kind of I don't know. Everything is so meshed and we've kind of taken on you know we've 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 brought stuff from all the older decades and brought them together now but uh, you know i feel like you don't see that
0: there's no distinct style of 2020
1: i mean there's there's things that are in style but yeah i mean it's it's i just feel like it's not as um i don't know prominent as uh the seventies or the eighties or the nineties or something like that. there's not
0: like bell bottoms and like denim jackets everywhere. There's nothing distinct about fashion. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Like everyone has their own style. Not that they didn't then, but I just feel like now it's much more, uh, you know, it's, it's a lot, it's very different and, and, uh, very eclectic in the look.
0: So in the film we see, you know, we see the dynamic of the band, uh, You know, we see them perform, and the big thing is, you know, getting on the cover of the Rolling Stone magazine, which they they finally do, and that's another thing that's unfortunately Rolling Stone, obviously, they've critiqued, like, some of the best albums in the world and called them trash, which is is so funny, because there's even, there's there's, uh, certain albums that they've, like, out and out trashed, and then they'll end up in, like, the top best, you know... Punk albums of all time, but they they trashed you know they trashed Pleasant Dreams when the Ramones put it out, but then you know something like that would pop up in like the best top fifty punk albums of all time or something like that, you know. Yeah. Uh, I think it's
1: sad, well, it's sad because like obviously Rolling Stone, one of the biggest music magazines ever, uh, if not the biggest. And uh, I think when it comes to any media that gets so big, they can be very critical and they can. You know, be a bit jaded, and uh, it sounds like, yeah, like the you know, they they kind of talk about that in this film where Rolling Stone has has ruined a couple other musicians, uh, not careers, but they definitely bashed some musicians, so almost like it's bittersweet to get on the cover,
0: and you could tell Rolling Stone magazine. That, that That is another, like, infamous uh, part in the movie as well, um, when Russell Hammond's tripping balls on um, acid, and, you know, he's going to hang out with some real to, Topeka people, man.
1: <laughs> Just real Topeka people, man. And, uh, <laughs> yeah, I read that that, like, well, a long time ago I read that that was about um, Robert Plant, something that Robert Plant did. And I looked it up again, and apparently he wasn't, on a roof or, or high well i'm sure maybe he was high but uh <laughs> apparently, apparently he did say something along those lines uh
0: i dig that, music
1: that he was a golden god so i dig music
0: yeah <laughs> i don't know <laughs> if i if i wasn't straight edge that would probably be chiseled on my tombstone i dig music
1: i'm on drugs <laughs> <laughs> That, yeah, I mean Russell's his character goes through such roller coasters in the film.
0: But what? How? How? May, I mean, we we said it at the top of the show, but how great is Billy Crudup in this? He just nails this character of a lead guitarist in a seventies rock band so well.
1: Yeah, he really does. He steals it. I mean, like I said, I know uh, him and you know Frampton pretty much like taught him how to play guitar for this, and and uh, I saw some interviews before uh, saying that he was just like. He just totally took on that form, you know, of, like, the lead guitarist, and he was just up there. just.
0: He looked like killing. he looked, it too. Like, it didn't look like he was kind of, like, thrown into it. Like, with the mustache and everything, he just looked like a 70. He looked like he was touring with the Allman Brothers.
1: For sure, for sure. Yeah, I mean, like, like you said, the whole, band, uh, the whole band really kills it as they're so believable. But, yeah, he, uh, if you were to see a picture of him, in that movie, holding a guitar, and they were like, "Oh yeah, this guy—he uh, was in this band in '73." You'd probably be like,
0: "Oh yeah," you yeah, just
1: believe it if you didn't know. Yeah, ab- ab-
0: absolutely. Now, why this film, you know, bombed is just beyond me.
1: Yeah, you know what? Sometimes I think it's just like timing or anything. I mean, I personally think it's it's an amazing film, and it's it's kind of timeless because it depicts. Well, a obviously it depicts a certain era of the past, but uh, I don't, I don't know. I can't really speak to it. Why it, it maybe didn't, uh, why it didn't do so well?
0: Yeah, it's, it, it was probably a timing thing. You got to think, like September two thousand. I don't know, like who's the biggest band in the world at the time? It was probably Blink One Eighty Two.
1: Yeah, dude, I didn't even. I don't even know, to be honest with you. <laughs> Probably, yeah. yeah. Well, yeah, I mean, you figure in 2000, you had, like, a mixture of, every, yeah, like, there's so much, like, a...
0: Limp a biscuit and Blink-182, so. and, yeah, and that, like, that, like, 70s rock stuff was kind of, like, I don't know, it just seemed passe for the most part, because there was, like, the rap metal thing happening, like, pop punk thing with, like, you know, you gotta think, like... All like like pop punk bands were like big at the time like you know like skater punk whatever you want to call it yeah
1: like I don't think it was um, like I mean just thinking back on that time for me personally yeah I mean I think probably it just didn't didn't appeal to the masses because of that reason yeah like I don't think it was on people's radar you know what I mean.
0: Yeah, it, it, I mean, it's, it's a shame because I feel like, you know, it, it should have done well, but there, it 100% has a following now, for sure.
1: Oh, for sure, yeah. I mean, I think, I'd say the movie seems like it's pretty revered to me. I mean, at this point. I mean, I know it, I know at this point it like made all its money back, but uh, I don't know. I mean, Cameron Crowe, in my eyes, seems like he's depicted as a pretty... Um, You know, pretty likable guy, pretty... I mean, people seem to respect his work, so...
0: I think... I could be wrong, but I think he's still married to Nancy Wilson from Heart.
1: I don't know. I know that she, like...
0: Oh, wait. Was it Nancy or was it Anne? I think it was Nancy. It was Nancy. Nancy, yeah. Because she appears on the soundtrack as well.
1: Yeah, I know that they all, like, got together on the music. I don't know. He might still be. I'm not really sure.
0: It's, uh... But, yeah, it's just, uh... It, and it is a time capsule too. It's so like, cause that time period it came out in 2000 was kind of like, I mean, it goes back to the fashion thing, like the 2000, like after the nineties, after like a couple different fashion changes in the nineties, because if you look at fashion from like 91, 92, when like Soundgarden and Nirvana and Alice in Chains were big, and then you look at the style in 98, and 99, you wouldn't think it was from the same decade.
1: Right, for sure.
0: It changed. I mean, it changed so drastically. And, uh, and the 2000s just seemed, the 90s just seemed lost, like a lost era anyway. They were trying to, like, figure out, like, it was, you didn't call it 90s, just call it post 80s. So even in 2000, too, it was even more confusing because, like, technology's taken off. It, we're at the crux of, like, downloading. is That whole thing's going to, is kicking off. Uh, You know, granted, music was still a staple because people were still buying music, but it's just such a, it came out in such a weird time, uh, but I think,
1: what year did American Pie come out? 99. So that's just what I think of. Of uh, when I think of the year two thousand and like style. Yeah, I just yeah, think for of sure. In that movie. Whatever like, people were wearing,
0: like a baby blue button up like shirt with like some cargo like pants. A, a,
1: well, you know, uh, everyone's there wasn't uh, super tight pants at that time. Everyone's pants were a little bit baggy, uh, not like Janko baggy, but uh, yeah. T-shirts, button up shirts.
0: Yeah, they were like they were bullhead baggy. <laughs>
1: Throw throw your Union base sweater on and uh, and your necklace there, whatever oh. type of your ball chain necklace maybe. Oh
0: yeah, your your fucking your Bill.
1: Yeah, Jen says puka shells maybe. Puka shells. <laughs> oh
0: yeah, there's definitely like yeah. Why did everyone dress like they were fucking an extra in the movie Brink?
1: That's <laughs> no
0: uh yeah what was there was a there was a weird like little uh accessory thing with like the yeah like the the puka shells or like yeah the bead the beads
1: i definitely had a ball chain necklace
0: <laughs> yeah the ball chain <laughs> well, then, uh, I never had, i've
1: never had puka shell, but definitely the ball chains
0: yeah it's just uh you know what are what's like your favorite scene in the film you think
1: Ooh. That's a good question. Um, well, let's see. I love when they ram the gate on the bus with uh, Mark Barron. Oh, yeah. That's a great scene when they're, when they're leaving the show after Russell gets electrocuted and uh, Mark Barron gets on, telling them they got to finish their set. Just flipping out, and then they bust down the gate to get the get the hell out of there. That's you, probably one of my favorite scenes. You um, want
0: to buy a gate?
1: <laughs> <laughs> uh, what else? What else? What else? What um, else?
0: Have you seen the the director's cut Uh, where they're in the studio for an interview, where they're in the radio station for an interview, and, and Kyle Gass is the interviewer?
1: I, I've seen that, the untitled cut or whatever it's called. Yeah, I saw yeah. that once before, yeah.
0: That, like, scene kills me. Um,
1: There's like a half hour of extra footage, right? Yep. Oh, yeah.
0: And now I think it's, uh... And a lot of it's, it's like, small stuff, too. Like, there's, like, a little... There's extended scenes with the Philip... With, uh, Lester Banks, Philip Seymour Hoffman scenes. Um... So, I mean, my... uh, The t-shirt scene is, like, one of my favorites.
1: Yeah, that's a good one. Um... I do obviously, like... Obviously, with the stuff when they're on stage is really cool, too. So. Yeah,
0: I love that one where they're... It's the other Stillwater song, and I'm not sure what it is, but when Jeff Bebe is opening the song with the piano playing...
1: Piano, yeah. I was just going to say that, man. That's funny.
0: And that's just, like, but, a great scene where they kick into it. Like, that gives you, like, a really good feel for, like, what a 70s concert... What I would imagine a 70s concert was like. It, just, it was just really cool to see, and... The musical numbers in this Cameron Crowe had to have spent fucking more than half the film's budget on the soundtrack alone, paying royalties out to these guys for publishing. Yeah, I think,
1: I, I think that was something on IMDb as well about how the budget for this movie was like, like something like four million dollars or something like something huge. I don't, I don't, I just said four, but I'm not sure how much it was. But I know the budget was like double what a normal budget would be, obviously. Because yeah, I mean, think about the. Think about the hit
0: songs you hear throughout the movie. So yeah, it's 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 pretty crazy. But the um one of the f- best scenes in the film, I mean anything with with Jeff Beebe is just like fucking kills me. I I love like the little things when J- Jimmy Fallon's introduced and they're they're he- hearing him out, and they're ta- he's talking about taking like a plane. And he's just like, no, Doris has been with us since we were the Jeff Beebe band. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but the uh, I think my favorite scene is the musical number when uh, you know Mick is convincing uh, Russell to to leave the Topeka house party, and he's like, "We'll see you all in 1974." Yeah. Um And then you get on, and that is just you know there was everyone's pissed off. It was after the it was after the T-shirt debacle, and Russell's pissed off. Uh, Russell's, but uh, also,
1: Russell's embarrassed because he was a drunken buffoon the night before. Which and I know what that's like.
0: And that was just like the the you know Elton John's "Tiny Dancer" comes on, and like everyone just starts singing, and and just like that, it was forgotten, and they were you know they were still water again.
1: Exactly, music heals all wounds.
0: And so it was honest. just uh, it's just like uh, like that whole scene is just to me that's like brilliant filmmaking.
1: Oh, for sure. I think I, I would say that most people would say that that's the most iconic scene of that whole film, for sure.
0: Oh, absolutely. Uh, driven, by that,
1: driven by that song, always knew what he was doing when he
0: wrote that. song. Oh yeah, total banger. Just a, you know when he finished that, he's just like, "Fuck, that is just good luck." someone trying to talk. Anybody top who that.
1: hates on Elton John's crazy.
0: Oh yeah, they're right off the rocket. So. Um.
1: Uh,
0: but yeah. Um any uh any closing thoughts uh, in what you think you know 20 years past what the legacy of uh, almost famous is to you uh
1: well me personally like I said being such a big fan of, of a lot of the music from that era and uh, that genre I say I think it's I think it's a, a really good depiction of what kind of what happened happen in, in that lifestyle of touring and and being an up-and-coming band and kind of being around that band, uh, I think it seems like it's pretty accurate. Obviously, like we said, because Cameron Crowe writes from a lot of his life experiences of stuff that has happened. Um, I'd like to think that this movie will uh, remain relevant and people will watch it uh, for years to come since you know, music is always changing, but it's always super important. I mean, music is important to a lot of people, and I think that this, in my opinion, is one of... The best if not the best like fictional you know movie to, about music i guess you would say like yeah there's some great movies that have you know like you said the biopics where you know like the walk the lines or the you know the which one bohemian rhapsody stuff like that but i feel like this one is uh when it comes to not being a biopic is one of the best uh, music films of all time so
0: for sure and, and
1: <laughs> just like you said like the the amount of, of great acting in this film from top to bottom um, is great. And, and the amount of energy and work that they put into it, like assembling that music, practicing, pretty much becoming Stillwater the band, uh, it's pretty incredible. So,
0: Yeah, it's, uh, you know, it's... I, I think what drew me to it initially was I probably... I remember when it came out. I remember when it came out and... But it wasn't, it wasn't, like, on my radar to go see it. But I remember seeing, like, an HBO First Look. Um, and, you know, HBO would spotlight a movie that's going to be in theater soon. Uh, and they would just, like, talk about it. And, uh, so HBO did this little, like, half-hour special. It was called, like, HBO First Look. And it was, you know... I remember
1: those, yeah.
0: Yeah, and it was, it aired right around the time the movie was coming out. And I remember it vividly when it was coming out. Um... And then I probably saw it about a year later when it when it you know finally appeared on like whatever what HBO or Cinemax or whatever, and I remember watching it with my with my old man, and he was obviously a, a product of the '70s, so he loved it, and I grew up loving all the music that I heard in this fi- in this film. I grew up; I had already heard all the songs, so it was it was super familiar to me just to hear all the music and. And I, I think to, to see how much my dad would like tell me like, oh yeah, I remember this, you know, that time, this and that time. Cause he was 13 when the thing came out. So that was when he was really discovering music and, and f- discovering his musical taste and things like that. You know, your early teen years when you, you decide what you like, uh, you know, as far as your, your musical selections and, uh. So I think that was, like, cool to, like, really talk to somebody that while I was watching the film, and, and as we watched it, uh, you know, as time went on, because we both enjoyed the film, and just hearing, like, him talk about the 70s and stuff like that, it kind of he gave me even, as much as Cameron Crowe painted a perfect picture of the music of the 70s and the 70s in general, I had my old man there to kind of reinforce, like, oh, yeah, it was like this, and blah, 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 and... And these bands were kind of like, you know, this is what, you know, I was really into. So that kind of, I think, coupled with how great and brilliant the film is and how great and brilliant Cameron Crowe is at explaining and depicting that era that he lived through. I had the reinforcement from someone, uh, that being my old man, who was, uh, you know, a product of the time as well. So it's got a special place. It's it, like you said, it's one of the best music films, uh, you know, biopics, biopics. uh uh that uh that there there is out there uh that's uh you know not a biopic technically it's you know it's like a... it's you you know fiction nonfiction but real because the stories are based in reality, they're just kind of reenacted somewhat by fictional people and there's some you know there's some uh realism in it and it's it's just a unique film and and it's uh and it's only gonna grow i think in uh in lore and the love and the the cultism that follows it for sure i mean well
1: said you you, you would think that william miller was actually uh a real dude
0: oh absolutely and uh yeah that's uh that's our that's our word that's our final word on uh Almost Famous, a great film. If you have not seen it, we both we both implore that you check it out and uh, watch it and enjoy it for for multiple reasons.
1: Oh, for sure! If you're a fan of music in general at all, I mean, you definitely got to see it if you've never seen it before.
0: Yeah, and even if don't be deterred if you uh, if you're not even a fan of the '70s, because I feel like it'll give you a good perspective on it or anything like that. Cause I feel like some people are like, eh, it takes place in the seventies. I don't want to anything to do with it. Blah, blah, blah. Check it out. Put your bias aside and check it out. Cause it's worth every second you spend on it. For sure. All right. You can catch us on Instagram at HeartGuide media, Twitter, at Heart guide media. You can find us on Spotify, iTunes, Google podcast, this, that, and the other. We are host cited by anchor. You can check us out and listen to episodes right through anchor as well. Uh, Eric and I will be back later this week as this will be posting uh, tonight uh, on the 22nd, which is the 20th anniversary of the film. But you can check Eric and I later this week talking about the bastardization of horror. Eric and I are going to talk and vent a little about why horror is still a redheaded stepchild of uh, movies. Of yeah, of Filmland, it's a uh, the redheaded stepchild of Filmland for sure. Still, and also uh, a little sneak peek next week. We are doing Buffy the Vampire Slayer the movie. I did we already do that or did we just talk? I think we just talked about. You know, what? I think we already did Buffy. Did we do the movie? Uh, I
1: think
0: when we... I think when Luke Perry died. What did we do? We just did Buffy though. I don't know. I don't
1: know if we did. Let like me. You were, if, if we did
0: I feel like we talked about it but maybe we didn't dive in hold on I'm I'm looking real quick in the archives because this is interesting to let's see I'm not even seeing it on here so maybe we didn't but I could have swore we did I could have
1: well, sw- if you listen to us do it let us know <laughs>
0: yeah, you might hear it but you might not. Maybe it was one of the episodes that got lost because I don't see it. Maybe we'll cover it. No, we did. Yeah, we did. We covered we did. We did it.
1: Well, we'll be coming next week with a different topic then, folks.
0: Yeah. <laughs> I just remember talking about Luke Perry. I guess I don't remember covering the the whole film, but
1: if I if I also have a second, I do want to say that uh, there's another movie Uh, with Billy Crudup, or Crudup, I always, I always forget how to pronounce his name, but, amazing actor, but, that's musically driven, and it's called Rudderless, I highly implore anyone to check that out as well, directed by William H. Macy, who's a great actor, and plays the biggest, uh, scumbag ever on Shameless, but we love him, uh, (laughs) as the father for Frank, but, uh, yeah, Rudderless with Billy Crudup, who, uh, it's a musically driven movie as well, where he does play music in that movie as well, so.
0: You have your homework, people. Go check out Almost Famous and Rudderless, both featuring Billy Crudup, amazing actor, Cameron Crowe, touche on this amazing film, 20 years old, Almost Famous.
1: Check it out. Right on.